This is the Impact Church Podcast. Here at Impact, we believe a powerful word at the right time can help you overcome any challenges you are facing. Wherever you are listening or whatever you're going through, we pray this message speaks exactly to your need. Enjoy. Yeah, so we are closing out today. We started a series just two weeks ago. It's just a little mini-series. We did, uh, and the series was simply called First, and we talked about the first week, we talked about um, when you don't have enough time. How many of y'all remember that one? Yeah, you don't have enough time, and we looked at the fact that, you know, when you give God your time, and when you make God first in your time, God can make not enough time more than enough time. How many remember that? And then last week, we talked about this idea of our talents and how everything that we own belongs to God. We actually don't own anything. We are merely stewards of what God owns, so we are actually managers. So it's really not about ownership, but about what? Stewardship. Stewardship, yeah. And so, um, and sometimes we get so concerned about what we have and or how much we have, and we found out that it's really not, it really doesn't matter how much you have as much as how you use what you have. All right? And so today we're going to move into a bit about treasure uh, because, I don't know, I was reading and I said, oh, God, Jesus looked like he was going on a treasure hunt. Well, you know, when we were coming up, I used to love, as a little kid, before you knew any better, hunting for treasure. You know, I was sitting there digging in the dirt, finding little rocks. Oh, that looked like treasure to me. You know, it wasn't worth nothing, but who knew, Right. But um, there's a lot of books around, you know, coming up and movies even around uh, treasures and treasure hunts and hidden treasures. And I remember one of my favorites in that type of movie would be the Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, it's this constant search for this treasure that's been hidden someplace. And, and sometimes uh, the idea is that if you have a treasure map, um, if you follow the map and, and you follow the clues, you can find the treasure. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And, um, and, I, and, I, and I want you to know this morning that it could be that Jesus himself was going on a treasure hunt. I was reading about a book uh, that I've never read, but it's called The Scandal in Bohemia. And though I've never read the book, I'm familiar with the character who first came out in this book, and I think you know him too. His name is Sherlock Holmes. So Sherlock Holmes was first in a book called The Scandal in Bohemia. And, and he's in England, and um, he's trying to get into this woman's home. He's trying to get into this woman's home, Irene Adler, because he wants to retrieve a picture, but he doesn't know where a picture with Irene and the king. He doesn't know where she's hidden the picture. So he figures out a way to, to, to break into her home without her knowing. And when he gets inside of the house, you know, you can't have Sherlock Holmes unless you have who else? Oh, yeah, I watched it too. Amen. So, so he opens up the window and he calls out to Watson. Basically, I'm in here. So Watson throws what basically is a smoke bomb into the home. And of course, when you see smoke, the first thing you think is what? Fire. So everybody starts yelling, fire, fire. Well, it was really interesting because the minute that she thought her house, Irene thought her house was on fire, she didn't run out the front door. What do you think she ran to? She ran to where the picture was. She ran to where the picture was hidden. And uh, that's kind of like us. We inevitably reveal where our treasure is to. What's most important to us by the thing we run to first? And so I want to jump into that a bit because 
in her case, she ran to the picture because the picture meant she had a proof that she had an affair with the king, and that meant she could use it for security, that meant she could use it for, to protect her reputation. But there's things that we run to for security too. We run to our jobs for security. Y'all ain't gonna say nothing now. We think that our home alarms make us secure. Y'all know a burglar still can break in, right? We find our security in our careers. We find our value in how we look. We find our value in what we drive. We find our value in how many digits come after our salary. But, but Jesus says, if you really want to know where to find your treasure, he says, you, ain't even got, if you, you don't need a map to find where your treasure is. He said, just look in your heart because your heart is a magnet to your treasure. It will always draw you to your treasure. So I want to jump in because... I think we need to know why Jesus thinks that treasure is such a big deal, right? Why is it that Jesus thinks that wealth matters so much for a person who was poor? For a person who was on the classification of a peasant? For a person who never went more than 70 miles from his home? So he never traveled, you know, over the, 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 the seven seas. He never climbed the seven mountains in, in Rome. He never did those things. He didn't even own his own home. But why did Jesus talk about treasure or wealth? Why did Jesus feel the need to talk about wealth and treasure more, watch this, than heaven or hell put together? I want to read something to you because I think we're going to find out this morning and I think you'll find out this morning, it don't take a Sherlock Holmes to see where your treasure is. Because all you got to do is recognize your heart's already there. So here's what he says in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. I'm going to try to get through this really quick this morning. No, I'm tired. I'm really trying to get through this really quick this morning. <laughs> real talk. That's real talk. I'm really trying to move. <laughs> So it reads this way, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. And then he tells you his rationale behind it. He says what? Say it with me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then we skip on down a few verses to verse 24, and he says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And then at the very end of this, I think this is probably the one y'all probably know the most. Verse 33 says, but seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided, yeah, or added to you. To really appreciate what Jesus is saying here, you need to appreciate who he's talking to and where he, what he just said. And so what we find out here is that Jesus is preaching his longest sermon. As I said, this will not be my longest, but this was his longest sermon. 
It was a sermon on the mount. It was one that you, you know because you've heard parts of it before. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that suffer. You know, he talks about all and that are persecuted for righteousness. He talks about all the blessings of the inner man uh, when we are devoted to God. He spends a lot of time talking about inward attitudes. The whole Sermon on the Mount has everything to do with inward attitudes. It has very little to do with what we do outside or what we say or, or the, the, the activities that we engage in or the tasks that we do. Jesus didn't go to the task. He went straight to the heart of the issue. He goes straight down to the inner man, to the attitudes of the inside. He is with the crowds. You know the crowds love to follow Jesus. There's a big crowd following him, plus he's got his own disciples that he is training and that he is pouring into. The problem is that Jesus has got to teach his own disciples, but before he can teach his disciples, he's got to first make sure that they unlearn what they already learned so that they can relearn what they never learned. Y'all are good if you stuck with that. You lost, right? Me too. Because, here's the thing, they all came up with their teachers being not Jesus, their teachers were these people you've probably heard their name before called the Pharisees. Okay. And what the Pharisees believed is that what mattered most to God, listen to what I'm going to say here, what matters most to God was performance. In other words, what you can observe and what you can see. How I performed, how much I performed, if I did this deed, if I did that deed, what mattered most to God was performance. And so with Jesus, before Jesus can take them another further, he's got to help them unlearn that that's not what God is looking at at all. How many of y'all remember when you thought, and some of you may think that this morning, that God was just looking at how good you were performing. As long as you were performing good, then he loved you. But the minute you messed up, then he doesn't love you. How many know that that's a lie from the pit of hell? That he loves you unconditionally. Not based on your performance. Based on his grace and his love for you, right? So Jesus has got to teach his disciples and the crowd who has learned all the wrong beliefs about what he was looking for and what God was looking for by Pharisees, or if I can say it this way, religious folk. Because, get this, the crowds and the disciples were all, I'm going to use a contemporary word, were all churched. See, we have this tendency to think that you know, they was out minding their own business when Jesus called the disciples to follow him. No, no, no. Almost all of them, except for one, I think, Matthew, who was not uh, an Israelite, they understood what it meant to be Jewish. They understood what it meant to go to synagogue. They understood what it meant to, you know, in their mind to be religious. And so he's got to deal with, watch this, the mindset of the church. Oh, y'all ain't going to say nothing. Oh, mm. Because I don't know about y'all, but I found out a long time ago, once you actually become part of church, if you're in church for good, I say a year to two years, you pretty much got to figure it out. You know, you know when to say amen. You know when not to say amen. You know when to stand up. You know when not to stand. You know when to lift your hands. You know when you're supposed to go. Now, if you're in church, you don't know how to do all that. But once you church, you know how to perform. Yeah. 
Now, Jesus ain't got no problem, you know, because some of the stuff, you know, some of the stuff we do, I just need y'all to know this. Some of the stuff we do is cultural. So it don't mean that you ain't got it, just I got it different than you got it because it's part of my culture. You know what I'm saying? Some is just cultural, you know. It's not necessarily spiritual, though. So, so Jesus now has got to challenge the thinking of church people who grew up following the Pharisees. And so when you go back into chapter 6, when you go higher up from verse 1, the very first thing, he's still in his sermon. I think his sermon is like three full chapters. This is a long sermon. He's still in his sermon, and he says, he says, and by the way, don't be like them, them being the Pharisees, them being the religious, watch this, them being the church. He says, don't be like them when you give your alms to the poor. He said, don't call a big attention to it because what they would do, the, the coffers were shaped, the, 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 the coffers where they would collect coins looked more like a trumpet or a tuba opening and made of something similar. So if you threw your coin on it, you know, I just, the Lord just put it in my heart just to bless you, Elder Minchin. And so I take my coin and throw it on the coffer to make a big noise. Oh, what happened? Oh, Pastor just gave Elder Minchin $100. Yeah, it was the least I can do, you know. He said, don't do like the Pharisees, he says, because they do all those outward deeds to be seen of men. He, says, he, said, and he said, when you go to bless somebody, just do it in private. He said, when you want to bless somebody, you just go up to him like this, and you say, uh, God bless you, Elder Minchin, and you give him a Holy Ghost. Y'all know what a Holy Ghost handshake is? Oh, I need to introduce y'all to a Holy Ghost handshake. That's when you put the Holy Ghost tells you to give somebody something. You put it in your hand, you put it in their hand, you don't even talk about it. Nobody even sees it. Mm. Yeah. Lord, let somebody give me a Holy Ghost handshake today, Jesus. Yay! Well, what? The Bible says you have not what? Because your ass not. So then he goes on. He says, don't do like them to be seen of men. Then he says, he says, oh, gosh. And he says, and then they go into public. They go into public, and they pray these loud prayers in public, and they're repetitive. He said, he said, when you get ready to pray, don't do that. Don't be like them. He says, don't go to Starbucks when you feel like you want to be spiritual and stand on top of a table and say, God, I thank you. Most holy God. Most holy God. Most holy God. God, you're so holy. Most holy God. Did I mention that you're the most holy God? Thinking that you're going to be heard from your repetition or how loud you pray. He says, I'm not looking on your external deeds. I'm not looking at your performance. He says, because when you pray, he said, what I want you to do, I'm going to take you back a few weeks because it's in the same chapter. He says, when you pray, I want you to go in and shut the door. He says, because what you do in private, I will reward in public, I reward openly. He says, so when you pray, don't make an open show, because if you make an open show, that's your reward. Because God is not looking at our outer deeds. He's looking at the attitude of our hearts. Same chapter. We're working our way on down to where we are. He said, oh, and then he goes into the Lord's Prayer because he's talking about prayer. Then he goes into, oh, Lord, when they fast. Mm. He said, oh, you know. He said, when you fast, then, if everybody know you fasting, 
you ain't fasting. <laughs> he said, because what they would do, they would distort their face. And the scripture says, distort their face so that they look sad. How you doing, Pastor? Oh, I'm doing all right. Everything all right? Yeah, you know, I'm just, you know, a little weak right now. <laughs> What's wrong? Oh, I've just been fasting before the Lord and calling out to Jesus and laying on my face before God. And he's been giving me revelations. He said, if you're going to fast, go wash your face, brush your hair, get up, and act like you fasting to God and not for, for men's glory. So what he's saying to them, listen to me, what he's saying to them is your father in heaven is not looking at your deeds as much as he's looking at your devotion. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Is it in, what you, is it in how you appear before men or is it how, how you please God and your love for God? He's not looking at all the things that we look at because, you know, man, the Bible says, looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. He looks on the heart. He doesn't want an appearance of righteousness. He wants righteousness, inward devotion that shows righteousness. But we have an issue here because the Pharisees wanted it to appear like they were lovers of God. So they did all this extra. Y'all know, see, Pastor Peter, we used to talk about this because he's the first person that said it to me. And ever since then, I can't shake it. You know, he said, we'd be at a funeral or something. He said, hmm, you see that person? I said, yeah, I see him. He said, you see how dramatic they're acting? I said, yeah. He said, he said you can always tell the ones that didn't do nothing for mama, nothing for daddy. Because the biggest actors, oh, God, how am I going to go on without you? You didn't talk to your mother for a year. You're acting like, how am I going without you? Because the ones that, come on, somebody, sometimes the ones that do extra have the, the least devotion or commitment to something. So this is the need to be extra with an outward display. And so Jesus says, you don't have to be like the Pharisees. He says, he says, because they do all those things, but their heart still isn't right. And the reason why their heart wasn't right, Luke tells us why their heart wasn't right. Can I teach for a quick minute? He tells them why their heart wasn't right, because in the same teaching, when he's recording the same situation, Luke adds to his story, for the Pharisees were lovers of money. And don't act like we don't have that in church. Oh, I may need some help. Mm. And I'm going to put it all out there. Don't act like we don't have it in church. Watch this from the pulpit to the pew. And so Jesus comes here and he says he gives them a warning that he's given to us. He tells us don't store up treasures on earth. And he gives us a practical reason why. He said you got to deal with moths. You got to deal with rust. And you got to deal with robbers. In other words, what he's saying is, I don't care how valuable something to you is on earth. No matter how valuable to you, two things about it, it's never completely protected. I don't care whatever Allstate told you. 
Nothing is permanent and nothing is protected. I think I need to say that again. Thank you. Nothing is permanent. Mm. And nothing is protected. be waking up. I feel something. <laughs> mm. He says, so why would you put everything that you value, why would you put your heart into that first car that you have? As a matter of fact, if you've been a little bit past your teens or your 20s, how many of y'all know that that first car that you had didn't last? Oh, you were so excited. It was the best thing that could ever happen to you. Even if it wasn't a Cadillac, a Bentley, a Mercedes, it was your first car, and you loved it, and then it left you one day. It failed you one day. It rusted out one day. Jesus gives us a very practical. He says, don't put your love in possessions, material wealth, he says, because they don't last, and you cannot really protect them. And nothing, by the way, is yours in perpetuity. And I'm going to give you another practical reason before I tell you the real thing I'm going for. With every, so let's just suppose, I need a visual. Let's just suppose this is my treasure. This represents what I treasure most in my life. With every passing year, every passing month, I'm moving further from earth and closer to eternity. Jesus is saying it would be foolish of you to hold on to something that you cannot keep. To invest and treasure something that you're moving away from. Because the place to put your treasure is in eternity where you're going to be, not in earth where you have been. Spiritual reason. Spiritual reason. Notice what he says here. He says, for, hmm, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm going to say it again. I want you to listen carefully. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice what he did not say. He did not say, for where your heart is, your treasure would be. You say, but I don't see, I don't, hold on. He did not say, where your heart is, your treasure will be. So let me ask you a question. How many of you would say you have a heart for the poor? Raise your hand. How many of you have given money to the poor in the last 30 days? Raise your hand. Somebody, oh, that's good. I'm proud of y'all. Okay. Mm -hmm. How many would say you have a heart for battered women? Raise your hand. What about the rest of y'all? Y'all are heartless? 
Mm. How many of you have given money to battered women in the last 30 days? Look at y'all, okay? There's more than I would have thought. What I will tell you is that sometimes your heart follows your treasure, but Jesus says all the time your treasure, your, sometimes, excuse me, your, your treasure follows your heart, but all the time your heart follows your treasure. I don't know if you got that. He says, he says I don't care what you do. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're impoverished. I don't care if you're Bill Gates. Whatever you value most, your money follows it. You may say you have a heart for the orphan and the widow, and sometimes your treasure may follow that. You may say you have a heart for your local community, and sometimes your treasure may follow that. You may say you have a heart for racial justice, and sometimes your money may follow that. He says, but one thing he knows for sure, that whatever you treasure, every time your heart follows that. Oh, let's talk, because y'all don't believe it. Y'all don't believe it. I feel it in my spirit. I feel it in my spirit. So, as an example, when you get ready to purchase a home, a bank will not lend you money until they know that your heart is in it. I'm not going to give you 100%. I need to know that you got some skin in the game. So I might give you 95%, might give you 90%, 80%, whatever it is. So, which means that as a buyer, you've got to come up with money up front. So let's just suppose for ease sake that you had to come up with $30,000, just suppose, to get into your $300,000 house. That means that you had to work for the $30, you had to save $30,000, you had to save for it, you had to put it aside, you had to put it into the home, and all along when you finally get the home, guess what you're going to do when you get the home? You're talking about your home with all your friends. You're inviting all your friends to come see your home. You're celebrating your home. You're decorating your home. You're designing your home. Come on, somebody. You're furnishing your home because your heart is in your home because you were invested in your home, but you're not invested in my house, so you never talk about my house because your money didn't come to my house. It went to yours. Because our heart always follows our treasure. Whatever we deem as most important, whatever we deem as significant, whatever we find value in, our money always follows that. So Jesus says, it, he says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So here's the big point I want, I want you to get here. So if it doesn't say that where your heart is, your treasure will be, but where your treasure is, your heart will be, what he's saying to you is that treasure has the power to direct your, light, your heart more than your heart has the power to direct your treasure. I'm going to say it again. Treasure has the power to direct your heart more than your heart has the power to direct your treasure. This is why Jesus says, not how much treasure you have, but where you put your treasure matters the most. Because wherever you put your treasure is the direction your life is headed in. And so it gives us two options. The kingdoms of this world, the earth, or the kingdom of God. Which one is your treasure in? Because it's going to determine the direction of your heart. 
Because where I place my treasure directs my heart. Y'all ain't saying amen no more. I see that. That's all right. I'm scared of y'all. I got my water. <laughs> amen, amen. And so what he tells the crowds that day, and he's telling us the same thing. He's saying only one person can direct your life. And he personifies mammon because he talks about you got to choose between the two, which one's going to be your master. So he makes mammon a person. He personifies mammon. He says, you got to choose if that one's going to be your master or is the master going to be your master. He says, but you cannot listen to mammon and the master at the same time because it is directing your heart. The second thing about where you place your treasure is it is deciding your priorities. It decides my priorities. Because what is behind mammon is, first of all, I want you to notice who's absent from this text. The devil. He's not in it. He's not even considered. He's not even an option. Because he's not in the forefront here. Because none of us would directly just follow the devil. Well, most of us, praise God. So how the devil plays to us is through mammon, through riches. And he never says, come follow me. He says, essentially, take care of yourself. Because what the difference between mammon and having treasures in earth versus having riches in heaven in the kingdom is the difference is this. Mammon says it's all about self-interest. The kingdom says it's all about God's interest. And so what we recognize here is that it determines our priorities, which is why Jesus says at the end, he kind of summarizes, he says it this way. He says, the Gentiles, the heathen, are all concerned about what they're going to eat and what they're going to drink and if they're going to have clothes for school when school year starts again and if they got this and that. He says, you don't have to be like them, he says, because your heavenly father already knows what you need. He said, but if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not the showy stuff, not the rituals, not the outward stuff, but his righteousness, he says, all these things will be added to you. But the key word is if you seek first. Because where your treasure is has already decided what your priority is. He's not telling you if you want to seek first the kingdom of God to put it in there, although you should. He's saying to you, look at your priorities now. Look where your treasure is now. That will tell you, that will tell you, watch this, which kingdom your treasure is in. When Jesus goes on a treasure hunt. Because mammon is always coming with a promise. It always comes with a promise. Mammon always comes with a promise. The promise is an example. You know, if you, I don't know, if you cheat on your job, you know, this is how you can get ahead. You're going to be ahead if you just do so and so and so. There's a promise. There's, there's a payoff that money is giving us or it's acting like it can give us. There's a payoff that popularity is. If you're popular, everybody will like you. You won't have any more problems. Come on, somebody. There's a payoff. And so what you got to understand is that mammon always, always overpromises and underdelivers. You, I don't know, some of y'all may have found out by now that you thought the party was going to be all that, but you recognize the 
day. Man, the party really is empty after all. You thought your career was going to be the thing that was going to give your life such a fulfillment. You recognize, man, you know what? I can really take or leave this career. Why? Because mammon always over-promises and under-delivers. But in the kingdom, you got some promises. In the kingdom, if you seek first, I'll supply your needs. In the kingdom, if you trust in the Lord with all your heart, I'll direct your path. In the kingdom, if you put me first, I'll give you the desires of the earth. In the kingdom, I'll order your steps. God said, when I make a promise, I never under-deliver. I always under-promise and over-deliver. Where I place my treasure directs my heart. It decides my priorities before I get up tomorrow. My priorities are decided. Not based on my to-do list. Based on where my treasure is because my treasure is a magnet to my heart. So it keeps pulling my heart some, a certain direction. It just keeps pulling. It keeps pulling. In my head, I'm saying, you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But in my heart, which is my innermost being, my core, my core is being pulled to my treasure depending on which kingdom it's in. And then he says, not only does it direct your heart, decide your priorities, it also determines who I serve. And let me just say to you that it's not just who I serve. There's a key word that determines who I really serve. Who I really serve. When Jesus used the example of a slave, he talks about no man can serve two masters. There's a part that mentions the word slave that's not on the outline. He could have said servant. He meant slave specifically because in ancient days, slaves had absolutely no right in that context. And in, in, in ancient days, they had none of their time was theirs. You say, boy, that sounds familiar. That's because the modern-day slave trade in, for African-Americans actually is very similar to what he's referring to here. It turns out it wasn't new after all. And so what he's saying is there's no way that a person who's owned by another slave master would even have time or the ability to serve a different one because they already belong to the opposite one. Now, I know, I watch and I read online, I know some of y'all was, well, you're working two jobs at the same time during the pandemic. Don't put your hands up, just hold it to yourself. There's folks, listen, I know some, David's articles about, there was one guy, he was a principal during the first year of the pandemic up in D.C. or Maryland. He was a principal there, and he was a principal in San Francisco at the same time. <laughs> Until somebody found out. He got fired from both. Some of us got gigs and things. We work for one person during the day, another person at night, or one person during the weekend, another person during the week. And while you may be able to get away with two employers, you can only get away with one master. Because both of them require exclusivity. Which means that one day it brings you down to a place of choice. I do stuff outside in leadership with companies and churches and things like that. And so... If I'm doing something around values, sometimes I'll do an illustration or an activity. I'll say, okay, you have uh, a couple of moments to write down your answer to this question. I'll say, you've got to evacuate your city. You only have five minutes. You can take whatever you can grab that can fit inside of your car. What do you take? 
So there's one lady who was in Ohio. She said, she wrote down her, she started reading it to the group. She talked about all stuff. I, you know, I don't remember all the details, but you know, a, few, a few pictures, a file cabinet, a computer, and her dogs. So we went further on. I said, wait a minute. Isn't that your husband sitting? True story. She wasn't taking a husband, y'all. And so I had to land the point. I had to land the point that when choices must be made, values become clear. <laughs> Treasures become clear. So though her wedding vow says she was devoted to her husband, her car says she was devoted to her dogs. So you can only have one master. He's, I'm going to finish off here. I want you to know that he, I want you to notice that he says in 19, do not store up for yourselves. That is plural. In the original language, it is plural too. And then at the very end, verse 21, I should say, he says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He starts plural, but he ends singular because he's signifying that he's calling us, each of us, to make a personal application of the truths he taught us. That while I can say where your treasure is, your heart be also, Jesus is saying, now, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? And I think the main thing that we need to walk away recognizing is that treasure transforms. Because one's treasure has your priorities, one's treasure has your direction, one's treasure has your allegiance or you're serving it, worldly wealth, by the time you do that, it is making you somebody else other than what God wants you to be. He didn't say you couldn't have riches. What he's trying to say is that riches should never have you. Because treasures transform, whether for good or not, or to Christ or otherwise. I remember, and I'm going to close with this. Y'all can come up. I remember years ago, gosh, probably 15 years ago, we were in a building fund, and um, my father, who, well, let me go back. I told you I used to pray for my family to be saved, and really, I don't even have that prayer anymore because pretty much everybody on both sides of my family, almost all my cousins, everybody just got pretty much saved, right? But before my dad was saved, I was praying for him. When I found out he gave his life to Christ, I said, you know, I didn't see him. I'd heard it on the phone, and, and um, he said to me, he said, oh, you can, you, can, you can bet that I'm saved. I said, well, I said, well, you know, he said, just remember God has done something I'm already saved because I used to go to church. He said, and if I gave $20 in an offering, I thought I overgave. <laughs> but it was so interesting to see how his mindset shifted. When we got to the building fund, this is years later, and he's living here in Atlanta, and um, we had to determine, each of us had to determine what we were going to give and this kind of thing. And uh, he came back to me and to the church and said he was a deacon here. He came back to the deacons and said, um, I have decided to give my entire pension. Now, this wasn't just any pension. His pension was more than what I was making annually. 
But it wasn't even that. That was, It wasn't the amount. The pen, what it was was interesting because the pension he got, he got from going to Vietnam and coming back under 100 pounds because he was so sick. He got from experiencing uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome. It altered his life in many ways. And the direction of his life went the wrong. Before that, he had been raised, his mother loved the Lord, but he didn't come out that way. He went completely opposite way. And what it showed me was, and anybody, was how much, when he put his treasure in the kingdom, how much his life changed. Because this man went out of here, not only um, did he love Jesus with all of his heart, not only did all the deacons that were standing up, almost all of them were, were trained by him. Not only did he do that, but when he retired as a, when he retired from the military, he wasn't um, just a soldier or, you know, he was the first African-American command sergeant major of the entire state of New York. Every bit of his pension he earned. It was his. It should have stayed in his pocket. He was well-deserving of it. There was no, and it was no, nobody forced him to do this. But he decided he wanted to put his pension, his entire pension annually into the building fund. When he left here, and he was a smart man, so he always got ahead of stuff, so he, we didn't have to figure out nothing for his funeral. He had already picked everything up. He didn't want nobody fussing over how many flowers and which casket, so he just picked it up. But what I love about it, I said, well, you know, you, you're going to be buried at the military place out and whatever. Do you want, you know, you want them to have the flag? Oh, no, no, no. Don't put American flag on my, I like the American flag. Don't get me wrong, I like it, but don't put that on my, on my, on my coffin in the church. He said, don't put, I said, why? He said, because I want folks to know that I'm a soldier in the, Lord, in the Lord's army. He wanted even his funeral to be a witness of the transformation. See, the truth of the matter is, if you want your life to change, you have to change where you put your treasure. And so as long as the Pharisees kept their treasure in wealth and they valued that more than anything else, they became more like the world. But when we put our treasure and the things we value most in the kingdom, it brings us to a place of transformation. And I want to encourage you this morning, just stand on your feet, not to let all the things of the world attract you so much that that becomes where you find your greatest value. That that becomes the thing that drives your life. That that becomes the thing that determines your direction and, and your priorities and what and who you serve. But put your treasure in the kingdom because you know what I found out? If you put your treasure in the kingdom, every time you have a birthday, you can still shout. Every time another calendar year goes by, you hit one of them zeros, you can still shout. Because no matter what's happening, you recognize, hey, I'm not moving away from it. I'm moving toward my treasure because my treasure is hidden in Christ Jesus in the heavens. It can't be corrupted. It can't be taken away from me. It can't go down through recession. But my treasure is in eternity. I want to pray for you this morning because until you're living for eternity, you're not really alive. Everything else is fake. If you can switch it right now, what I will give you is my final illustration is this. When you wake up and you go through all the different motions in a dream, no matter how good or how bad it was, you just say, "Woo, that was just a dream. This is reality. But I need you to look from the opposite side of heaven. This is a dream. Heaven is reality. This is the short part. This is the small part. 
reality's eternity. And Jesus says, I don't want you to be poor. I want you to be rich toward God. He didn't say you couldn't store up treasures. He just said, make sure you store up treasures in the right place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence right now in the name of Jesus. God, thank you. God, that you want us to be rich toward God. Thank you that Jesus is not speaking to us because of what he wants from us, oh God, but what he wants for us, God. You want our lives to change, Father. You don't want us to come through the motions of coming back and forth to church and fasting and praying and, and serving and, and, and giving of our alms to the poor only to have the same lives we started with. But God, you want to do a deep transformation on the inside of us. And my prayer, God, as a pastor of Impact Church is that you would transform at least one and that God word would impact many. Use our lives, Father, to make a difference. Use, Father, how you've made us, Father God, to leave lasting impact, not just on earth, but when we get to heaven, Father, works that follow us according to Revelation. We praise you and we thank you for the mighty work you're doing in our lives and in our hearts. In the matchless mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. Praise God.